Houston, we have a podcast. Welcome to the official podcast of the NASA Johnson Space Center, episode 215, Redirecting Asteroids. I'm Gary Jordan, and I'll be your host today. On this podcast, we bring in the experts, scientists, engineers, astronauts, all to let you know what's going on in the world of human spaceflight. Chances are you might have seen a doomsday movie in the past where an asteroid comes crashing into the modern Earth with devastating effects. Certainly not an unfounded idea happened to the dinosaurs. But you've probably wondered, what can we do to protect the planet from something like this? Enter NASA's DART mission. D-A-R-T stands for Double Asteroid Redirection Test. It's a planetary defense test mission, meaning we're going to try out some technologies and capabilities on a binary asteroid system that's not really a threat to the Earth, but will act as a good proving ground to learn how to redirect potentially hazardous asteroids. So joining us is Dr. Thomas Statler, DART's program scientist based at NASA's headquarters in Washington. Tom discusses more details into the overall mission and technologies like smart navigation, rollout solar arrays, and xenon thrusters that will be used on the mission. Exciting stuff, so let's get right into it. Enjoy. T-minus five seconds and counting. Mark. Tom Statler, thanks so much for coming on Houston Weaver Podcast today. Hey, thanks, Gary. It's great to be here uh, talking about DART. We're going to make sure that uh, a rock from space doesn't send us back to the Stone Age. <laughs> That's a pretty important mission for you, Tom. <laughs> I, uh, I want to understand uh, a little bit about what it takes to... Um, Put a person like you in a position like this, really, you know, we could say protecting our planet, right? So um, some of your earlier works is very interesting, and I think it builds very nicely to your work with asteroids. That gets you um, to start working with DART, which is, of course, with an asteroid. Uh, so take us through some of uh, some of the things that got you to where you are today, Tom. Oh, boy. Well, that takes me back a long way. I mean, basically, <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, there as a, as a little kid— there were two things that I thought were just unbelievably cool. And one was galaxies. And I looked at, you know, saw the pictures of spiral galaxies in, in books. And I thought, how amazing that is that something that unimaginably vast can be that beautiful. Uh, and the other thing was the idea that we could actually go to other planets because I was a kid of the space age. Uh, I was just old enough to uh, understand what was going on. I remember the Apollo 11 uh, landing distinctly. I was old enough to know that it was cool, but not old enough to know how dangerous it was. Um, and so, uh, so I, I really had kind of two, two dream jobs as a kid. One was to be an astronomer and uncover the secrets of the universe. And, uh, and I did that. I uh, majored in physics and astronomy. I went through the academic ranks and I became a professor. Um, but uh, now I have this other dream job, which is helping to send robot spacecraft to other planets and asteroids. Wonderful. Um, so why don't we get into the mission itself? Uh, we'll, we'll we're going to start talking about this mission, DART, um, Double Asteroid Redirect Mission. So if you had to talk to someone on, off the street and they said, hey, Tom, what's DART? Uh, how would you start? Well, DART is our first uh, full-scale attempt to demonstrate that we can change the motion of an asteroid in space, potentially as a way of defending Earth against the hazard of asteroid impacts. And, and to understand this, it's good to have, you know, the right mental conceptual movie going on in your head. Hmm. So to start with, 
you know, the Earth goes around the sun, Earth orbits the, around the sun in, in one year. The other planets also orbit the sun, and all of the asteroids also orbit the sun. And that means that any asteroid that is on an orbit around the sun that never comes anywhere close to the orbit of the Earth isn't dangerous. The only asteroids that are possibly hazardous are the ones that have orbits that intersect with the orbit of the Earth somewhere. And even then, nothing bad happens unless the Earth and the asteroid try to arrive at that intersection point at the same time. And that's when you can have an asteroid impact on Earth. And that's really pointing to the essence of what we call planetary defense, uh, defending Earth against this natural hazard. Uh, the key is to be able to find the asteroids on those Earth intersector and trajectories, find them well in advance of any collision, and to take steps years ahead of time not to destroy the asteroid, don't need to do that, in many cases we wouldn't be able to, but just to prevent that collision from happening. And that's what we're going to do with DART. We're going to demonstrate uh, one technology to cause that deflection that someday, if we need to, uh, we might use that technology to prevent uh, a, a, the, a, an asteroid from hitting the Earth. Hmm. So the mission that we're going, the, the mission and the asteroid that we're going to is not necessarily the asteroid that's going to cause that devastating effect on Earth. It's really a test to make sure that we have the capabilities for that asteroid in, in the future, if there is one that would have such effects. That's exactly right. There's no known asteroid that has any chance of impacting Earth anytime in the next hundred years. Uh, so the hazard is not from the asteroids we know, and the asteroid that we're going to with DART is not a dangerous asteroid. Uh, the hazard is from the, from the asteroids that we haven't discovered yet, and we're searching for asteroids all the time. We certainly hope that we will never have to deploy an asteroid deflector, but we want to do the test now to make sure that we've got the ability and the know-how uh, to do it if we should need to. Very good. But what are some of the assets, what are some of the things that we have in place to watch uh, what's going on in the solar system around us and make sure we're okay? Well, the key thing for asteroids is telescopes. You need telescopes to essentially scan the skies, take a lot of pictures of the sky with a wide field of view, and look for things that are moving. Uh, the stars don't move, they're in the far, far distant background, but objects that are moving in the solar system, uh, especially ones that are moving close to Earth, will move over the course of the night. And if you take a couple of pictures of the same patch of sky, you'll see them move. And that's Historically, that's how asteroids have been discovered um, from, from the beginning. So we use uh, a variety of telescopes in various places around the world. We've got projects that are operated by universities, funded by NASA, funded some of them funded by uh, other space agencies, other governments around the world, um, all work together to, uh, as I said, scan the sky, look for objects that are moving, uh, track those objects, send the, those data to the minor, uh, the International Astronomical Union's Minor Planet Center, which is funded by NASA, that will calculate the orbits and determine whether each of these things that are just seen moving across the sky at night, is it an asteroid? What kind of an orbit is it in? And is it, is an, is it in an Earth-crossing uh, or Earth-intersecting uh, trajectory? And that happens every night, uh, 365 days a year. 
Excellent. So what about the destination of DART then? Um, what is special about this asteroid that is the final destination of the DART mission? Oh, well, DART, DART is going to a very, very cool asteroid. In fact, it's two asteroids. Hmm. It's the system, the binary asteroid system called Didymos. And a binary, uh, people may have heard of binary stars where you have one star orbiting around another. Uh, a binary, astero binary asteroid is like that too. There's a larger asteroid and then there's a little asteroid held in orbit by the very weak gravity of the larger asteroid and it goes around it. So Didymos is a binary asteroid. The larger one that's called Didymos um, is about 800 meters across or so. The smaller moon is called Dimorphos. It's about 150 meters across or so, so kind of football stadium sized. Uh, and the two of them are about three quarters of a mile apart, about a kilometer and a little bit. Ah, okay. So, so um, well, I live near Washington, D.C., so I think of things in terms of the, the map around here. But uh, if you've been to the National Mall where the Smithsonian Museums are, uh, if you can imagine that, those pair of asteroids, if you put them down on the National Mall, they would fit between the U.S. Capitol and the Washington Monument with room to spare. It's a surprisingly small and compact little asteroid system. So DART's going to go to this asteroid system and execute a kinetic impact on the small moonlet Dimorphos. And kinetic impact is a technical term for run into the thing because that's what kinetic impact is. So here's, okay. So here's the, here's, the, here's the visual for you, okay? So Dimorphos, the little asteroid moonlet, is basically a small football stadium filled with rocks. So get your high school football stadium filled up with rocks. That's your model for the asteroid. Hmm. Uh, the DART spacecraft is kind of a golf cart filled with computers and cameras and stuff. About that size. It has big solar panels on it, but they don't weigh very much. And then basically what we're doing with DART is you take your golf cart full of cameras, you get it going up to 15,000 miles an hour, and you run it into the side of your football stadium full of rocks. That's hmm. what we're doing with, with DART. Now, go ahead and ask me why in the world are we doing that? I'm going to go ahead and do that, Tom. <laughs> why are we doing that? <laughs> because, we, because that's the kinetic impact and that is the deflection mechanism. We're... Uh, using that collision to impart a bunch of momentum to the big asteroid. By hitting it with a small thing very uh, at high velocity, we're delivering a lot of momentum to change its motion. And the reason we're doing this in this binary asteroid system is that when we impact the moonlet and change its motion, that makes a change to the orbit of the moonlet Dimorphos around Didymos. And hmm. that's really key. And that's what that's why the binary asteroid is a perfect natural labor laboratory to do this experiment in. Because the part that I didn't tell you is that the reason we know this is a binary asteroid is we can observe it from Earth. Now, even in a big telescope, you can't see that it's two asteroids. All you can see is the combined light of one asteroid. But if you monitor the brightness of that asteroid that's shining by the reflected light of the sun, you'll see that every so often, like clockwork, the brightness dims just a little bit and then comes back up. And what's going on 
is that the moonlet is either going behind or going in front of dimorphos and a little bit of the light gets blocked when it goes in front or behind and because we've got years of those observations we know that that moonlet is there and we know that it goes around Didymos like clockwork every 11 hours and 55 minutes so we see that little dip in the light every maybe you might not see it every time around maybe every half time around at any rate we see those dips in the light as one goes behind the other every orbit what we're going to do with dart by executing the kinetic impact we change that orbit so that what was 11 hours and 55 minutes might end up being 11 hours and maybe 50 minutes and by measuring by watching those eclipses happen in the weeks and months after our kinetic impact we're going to see the clock is running a little bit faster than it was before and that's the thing that's going to be going to enable us to measure extremely accurately exactly what the kinetic impact did to the asteroid because dart you know it's called double asteroid redirection test which i think is the coolest name ever because <laughs> we're doing the test on a double asteroid there's the binary asteroid but it's also a double test it's two tests in one we're testing our technological ability to actually execute the kinetic impact to actually collide with an asteroid but we're also testing how does a real asteroid react to that kinetic impact because anybody can take a couple hundred million dollars worth of spacecraft and smash it to bits but the real question is did we move the asteroid or not and by how much so if i if i'm imagining what you just painted for me tom correctly it sounds like you were going to crash into the moonlit uh dimorphos with the orbit thus speeding up the orbit just just a tad right um and what that's going to do is what well, what's your hypothesis uh, in terms of setting it off course or something setting the whole binary system off course well we're not trying to set it all off course so so let's oh, interesting let's take it a piece at a time so first of all um I got to tell you a little about it, a little bit about how orbits work. That okay. it, they go the they 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 go not the direction you expect. So actually, what we're intending to do, and this could change depending on the details, the circumstances, exactly when we launch and exactly when we get there. But we're intending on uh, hitting the moonlit asteroid head on, which oh, interesting. momentarily slows it down. But what that does is it drops it into a slightly tighter orbit around the primary body which takes less time to go around so the period gets less so uh -huh. it's this counterintuitive thing one of the great dynamicists um dynamical theoretical astrophysicists uh, uh had a lot of work on galaxies which which i a lot of influence on galaxy work which i used to do donald lindenbell he used to say uh, orbits are like donkeys you pull them one way and they go the other way <laughs> and so that's an aspect of this. You, you you hit the thing to slow it down, and it ends up going around faster. Yeah, you're right. It's not, it's not, to me, like, I would think, okay, we want to speed it up, so let's give it a little nudge. That's not what's happening here. You're you're essentially make, putting it into a lower orbit, and that's what makes the orbit slightly faster. Exactly. And and, okay. and uh, people familiar, uh, as your, your podcast audience is, people are familiar with human spaceflight know this, because mm -hmm. you know if you're in low Earth orbit and you want to reenter and want to come back down, you fire your retro rockets to slow down and drop to a lower orbit where the atmosphere then grabs you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. Now I think what's impressive, Tom, is uh, so you're talking about 
there's a there's an asteroid flying somewhere in the solar system, mm-hmm. and you have to predict where it's not only where it's going to be, um, so that the dart spacecraft can impact something that's orbiting it, but you have to estimate the orbit of the moonlet itself so you can meet your target. Is that right? Absolutely right. We have to get there at the right moment, where when not just the whole asteroid system is at the spot that we delivered the spacecraft to, but the asteroid moonlet is in the right part of its orbit that we actually succeed in executing the kinetic impact on it when we wanted to in the head-on direction. And uh, that is the product of a lot of work with uh, ground-based telescopes that the astronomers on the DART team have been doing for several years now to observe as I was talking about before, these transits and eclipses, the, the places where the light dims just momentarily, to observe those over and over and over again. And the more observations of those events that you get, the more accurately you can pin down exactly how, um, uh, exactly the length of the orbit. And so there were key observations that were just done this past winter um, that were absolutely essential in order to be able to predict at what time the moonlit dimorphos is going to be at the right phase of the orbit uh, so that we can we can strike it uh, with, uh, with the spacecraft. So those observations have been going on for years, establishing the properties of that orbit now. And, and if you think about it, we have to do that because the whole essence of the test is comparing before versus after. And so you gotta do the observations before to pin down what the before state is because you don't get to go back and do it again after you've done the kinetic impact. I see. Okay, so so for the binary system, where is it approximately now, and where do you expect it to be with all the measurements that you've just talked about uh, at the time that you want DART to make the kinetic impact? Okay, so, uh, so the system uh, did a most is in orbit around the sun. It's on an orbit that at its, it's an elliptical orbit, and so at its closest point to the sun, it's pretty close to the Earth. It's about Earth's distance from the Sun. And at its farthest point, it's uh, just edging out into the main asteroid belt beyond Mars. But it's probably <laughs> about two and a half astronomical units from the Sun right now. When we uh, arrive there with the DART spacecraft, and this was intentionally done this way, it's going to be only about 0.072 astronomical units away from the Earth. Uh, mm-hmm. I can't do the math in my head quite that much, but an astronomical unit is the distance from the Earth to the Sun. It's 150 million kilometers. So multiply that by 0.072, and that's how close we're going to be. And we're timing the kinetic impact for that moment so that we can have really efficient communication, high bandwidth back, because, of course, on this mission, so many of our recent missions, like, for example, people are aware of New Horizons that flew by Pluto a few years ago, two years ago gave us our first view of Arakoth. Uh, that fantastic Kuiper Belt object. Um, uh, New Horizons is built to take a lot of data, acquire a lot of images really fast, and then later on send it back to Earth bit by bit. Uh, on DART, we don't have the luxury to do that because uh, after we arrive at you know, Didymos, there's no spacecraft left after that. So we're streaming back video real, uh, in real time as fast as we possibly can, and having that, wide, that high bandwidth uh, short distance communication is going to be really important. Okay, so you're planning on getting imagery, getting vi- or, or may possibly even video back at the final moments before the kinetic impact? 
not quite video. We're expecting okay. a we're expecting a frame rate of about one per second, but but this is the key to the the mission. We've got on the spacecraft, which is about the size of a big vending machine, roughly. It's not very large. It's only only weighs about half a ton. We've got one instrument on it, which is a great camera called Draco. And Draco is actually modeled after the lorry camera that is flying on New Horizons right now. So Draco just looks out the front at where, where it's going and, um, and, and uh, identifies Dimorphos, Didymos Dimorphos asteroid system, picks out Dimorphos and points the spacecraft at it using a very sophisticated autonomous navigation system we can talk about in a few minutes. And uh, so it's continuously taking images once per second for navigation, but also for the purposes of understanding the, the, the target asteroid that we're going to impact. Because in order to figure out what we did, what effect we have on the asteroid, we have to understand the asteroid. We know a lot about Didymos, we don't know a lot about the little moonlet Dimorphos. It's never been resolved in a telescope or even in a radar image. So we have a vague awareness that it's longer in one dimension than the other direction. We know about how big it is, but that's all we know. We don't know what the shape is and uh, we don't know what the volume is. We won't know other than by the images from the Draco instrument on DART, what the size and shape of that asteroid is and we also need to know where do we hit and what's the topography of the surface at the place that we hit to understand the dynamics of the impact. Oh, okay. So that data is critical for you to understand because it sounds like DART is not over after it crashes into the moonlit because you guys are going to be analyzing you're going to analyzing the pictures that it takes to understand more about the moonlet. And you have some analysis to do afterwards to see what happens to the orbit of the moonlet, what happens to the, to the, um, I guess the, I don't know if it would be not necessarily orbit, but the trajectory, I guess, I, I don't know what you want to call it of, of Didymos and the, and the binary system. You got a lot going forward, even after the kinetic impact. Absolutely. Well, like I said before, there DART is two tests in one. There's the test of the technology to do the kinetic impact, yeah. and there's the test of what happens to the asteroid. And that first test ends, and the second test begins at the moment when the spacecraft itself is destroyed by the impact. Uh -huh. It's okay. a fascinating thing. And so even after impact, um, you know, there will be this, uh, I'm sure a great cheer will go up when we get the last image down and we confirm loss of signal. But that, at that moment, in a lot of ways, the mission's only half done because we still have a big effort, uh, astronomical effort, uh, literally, using telescopes <laughs> on the ground to measure the effect of what we actually did. And that's where the, you know, the real results are going to come out from that. So, so those observations will be focused on the, the, the little orbit, right? It's the little orbit of the moonlit Dimorphos around the big asteroid Didymos. You're right that in a very tiny way, we're also changing the orbit of the pair around the sun. Hmm. But we're not planning to try to measure that because that effect is so small and so hard to, so hard to measure. Um, it, it may not quite be doable. Uh, after all, DART is a small spacecraft, and, and even though this is a full-up test, it's not a big test. Yeah, you mentioned a golf cart crashing into a stadium. So, so it's that, that picture you drew was was absolutely perfect. 
Um, bring us to the first half of the mission then. Let's 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 explore that one a little bit in terms of the mission profile for those of us that want to watch the launch and 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 see this thing through the kinetic impact. What is the timeline here? Okay, well the uh, the launch period uh, opens uh, nighttime on November twenty third Pacific time, uh, just in a few months. And if we're able to launch right at the beginning of the window, we'll launch just before midnight California time on November 23rd. It'll be the wee hours in the morning, November 24th, for most of the rest of the rest of the U.S. Um, we launch onto, and we're launching from uh, Vandenberg Space Force Base on a SpaceX Falcon 9. That'll put us on uh, a, a trajectory that has a, a big north-south component to it because we have to do a little bit of an inclination change. We have to get away from the Earth and give ourselves an orbit around the sun that's a little bit inclined. Uh, and uh, that puts the spacecraft onto an orbit that will go around the sun just about once and meet up with uh, Didymos when it has come into near-Earth space uh, right at the end of September next year. Hmm. Okay, so about uh, less than a year from the time of launch to actually make the kinetic impact. Um, and so that, that'll be a pretty big moment for you guys. Where are you going to be throughout that whole process? At launch time? Yeah, both launch time and the kinetic impact. Well, at launch time, I hope to be out in California, somewhere close <laughs> to, uh, to Vandenberg. Um, I've never been to a launch at Vandenberg. What people tell me is that the coastal fog has a tendency to come in and prevent you from seeing much of anything. But, uh, but I'm hoping we get to see a launch, and, uh, and if not, we'll get to hear a launch, because uh, it does make a lot of noise. Um, and, uh, and, and of course, the launch is tremendously exciting, but it's just, it's just the beginning, right? Uh, we've got a fairly short cruise for a planetary mission. Um, it's only a year, once around the sun, to Kinetic Impact Day. And at Kinetic Impact Day, uh, I think everybody is going to be at the Johns Hopkins Applied Physics Lab because it's APL that is uh, operating this mission for NASA. They're building the spacecraft. Uh, we're almost ready to go, and it'll be tremendously exciting to be at the uh, Mission Operations Center uh, at APL on Kinetic Impact Day. It's going to be quite exciting uh, watching the images come in in almost real time. And... Um, watching that asteroid get bigger and bigger and bigger. <laughs> I can only imagine. So it sounds like uh, you're working with Johns Hopkins. That's one of the folks you're working with. What What is the team that comprises uh, the entirety of the mission that is DART? Oh, well, every mission has a, has a very broad team. The major components are, are, are being uh, built by APL, mission operations being done by APL. But we've also got some additional important components on, on the spacecraft. Uh, one of them is an ion propulsion, solar electric ion propulsion uh, thruster called NEXT-C. It's NASA's Evolutionary Xenon Thruster-Commercial uh, that we're taking for its first flight on DART. It's going to be checked out given its first uh, flight experience during cruise. Uh, that's a particularly innovative piece of technology that was built by NASA Glenn Research Center and Aerojet Rocketdyne. Um, because it's solar electric propulsion, we need some hefty solar panels. So we're flying these rollout solar arrays or ROSAs that are uh, innovative technology. They are uh, lighter than standard solar arrays. These were built by deployable space systems. Uh, there have been a couple of them deployed on the International Space Station. 
that have worked well. We're anticipating them working really well on, uh, on, uh, on Dart uh, also. Um, one of the other interesting things about Dart is, like I said, its main imager um, looks out the front window, and when we successfully achieve kinetic impact, we have no more spacecraft and no more imager anymore. Uh, but the uh, Italian space agency, ASI, is providing a CubeSat that will ride along on DART. It'll be deployed about 10 days before the kinetic impact. It's going to use its own propulsion system to offset so that it doesn't run into anything. And it's going to follow DART in a little bit off to the side, about three minutes behind. So uh, this CubeSat called the Lichia Cube uh, has two imagers on it. They're called Luke and Leia. Can't imagine what those are based on. Um, <laughs> we can only guess. We can only guess. Um, but they're going to uh, try to get images of the impact itself. There should be, I imagine there will be some kind of a bright flash because there will be a lot of energy liberated at that moment. But we want to be able to see uh, the ejecta plume, the material from the asteroid that's blown off in that energetic impact, not just for the sake of seeing it, but also that ejecta gives the asteroid an additional push. It's like a little extra rocket that you attach to the, the asteroid at the moment of impact. The stuff blows out one way and the asteroid is pushed another way. And that's actually one of the key measurements that we're trying to make with DART is what is this momentum enhancement that we get, not just because we hit the asteroid, but because we also blew out this ejecta. So huh. Leach is going to give us images that will let us see get a handle on how much material is blown out in as the ejecta and what direction it went. And then, of course, Lichu will do something that DART will not be able to do, which is go around the backside. It'll fly past, look backward, and give us a view of the backside of the asteroid that we impacted so we get a clear picture of what its size and shape is, what its volume is, and what its mass is. That is fantastic. This uh, this plume that you're talking about, is that mostly for uh, research into the physics, or is there some that's going to look at, because I know you said some of the imagery on the forward camera of DART is going to look at the composition of the asteroid. Will some of that plume data help with understanding what um, Dimorphos is made of? It could in some ways. With, uh, with the Draco imager on DART, we don't really have the ability to do much about, uh, about composition. It's not oh, a okay. spectrograph. It's not a multicolor camera. It's just a monochrome camera. We'll be able to see uh, you know, geological forms. We'll be able to see craters, boulders, and get some basic information about the, the physical, I mean, you know, mechanical, physical properties of the asteroid. Not so much about composition unless we see some... You know, we might get lucky and see some big differences in reflectivity or something like that. Um, but it'll be more, the more information we'll be getting is, is about the, the texture uh, of, of the asteroid. Um, sorry, and I forgot what the second half of the question was. Uh, no, no, I think um, I was asking about the, uh, the, the plume itself. And, oh, the plume. And, and, yeah, yeah, and, and about the, the what, what, what's, uh, how does that... How exactly, I guess, does it help you to understand? It sounds like it's not so much the materials, but the, but the physics of it. And I think you did a pretty good job of describing. Yeah, there's, well, there's two aspects of it. One is how does the ejecta, what direction and how much is going in and how much ejecta there is in mm. terms of how does that, how does it play into the, the, the dynamics of this kinetic impact deflection? So the information that we want to get out for planetary defense purposes is 
how much of a push on an asteroid are we actually going to get if we hit it with a spacecraft? The other side of it, which is asteroid science, we might be able to get a handle on by looking at that ejecta plume from different angles under different lighting conditions. We might be able to get a handle on the particle size distributions. So how much really fine dust, how much uh, you know gravel, how many golf ball sized chunks, that sort of thing. And that gives us some more insight into the surface properties of the object. Got it. Now, now we went through a couple of uh, a couple of the centers involved and uh, APL, of course. I want to make sure we didn't miss anyone and, and their involvement and contribution to DART. Oh boy! Well, I wouldn't I wouldn't even begin to try and make sure I got uh, got the whole list. I would accidentally leave somebody <laughs> out, and then they'd get mad at me. But of course, I mentioned uh, Ozzy, the Italian space agency. ArgoTech in Italy is the uh, is the contractor is the, uh, that's that's building uh, Lichia Cube. Of course, we have the involvement of NASA, uh, Glenn, I already mentioned, uh, Marshall, JPL, Jet Propulsion Laboratory, is doing navigation. Um, uh, uh, NASA Langley was doing some independent verification and validation. See, I know I'm already missing out, missing some people. Uh, we also have on the investigation team, a lot of scientists from universities involved. I know the University of Maryland at College Park is involved. Uh, uh, Auburn University is involved. I apologize to all of the co-investigators whose institutions I'm going to forget to list here. <laughs> and I'm not going to put you through that, Tom. No way. So um, we'll move on to um, <clears throat> you sort of alluded to this a little bit earlier, but there's some pretty critical. Um, I believe it's navigation equipment, guidance, navigation and control. Uh, what's on board DART? What is this piece of equipment? Well, this is really the key. We would not be able to do this mission at all if we didn't have the autonomous systems that the, the people at APL have designed. And so they have a system called uh, SmartNav. And this is what enables us to execute the dynamic impact on, on uh, the kinetic impact on the asteroid. Um, what SmartNav does is uses the images from the dark camera. Um, in effect, exactly the way you would expect to, right? I mean, if you were driving a car, okay, don't do this at home. But if you were driving a car with the intent of running into something, imagine how you would do it. You would look out the front window and you would watch the thing you were trying to run into, you, would, you were trying to run into, and you would make sure that it just gets bigger and bigger in your windshield and doesn't go off to the side. If you see the thing you're aiming for going off to the side, that's an indication that you're not going in the right direction and you have to correct your path. So, like I said, don't do that with your car or anybody else's car. But if you're doing, if you're building a kinetic impact or spacecraft, that's exactly what you want it to do. And that's the job that SmartNav has: is to look out the front window, which is the Draco imager, to see the asteroid, to identify the right one that is being targeted, and to make sure that the Dart spacecraft is heading directly toward it at all times, and then to send to uh, the, uh, uh, the guidance navigation and control system on board the correct commands to fire the uh, attitude control thrusters and the, the, the um, offset thrusters to alter the trajectory to make sure we stay on path. 
Very interesting. So, because with sticking with the car analogy, it sounds like it is literally the opposite of autonomous driving. Autonomous driving watches the obstacles and avoids them. It sounds like the key piece of technology here that's critical to the mission is to is to watch these. I you, I don't want to call it an obstacle because it's more of a target, but to make sure you're going directly for it. That's exactly right. <laughs> interesting. Um, you mentioned the next C thrusters, xenon thrusters. Now, this is not necessarily from what the way you described it. It doesn't sound like it's a cre it's a critical propulsion um, technology, but it is more of a of a demonstration. It is a demonstration. We've got two uh, we've got two propulsion systems uh, on the spacecraft. One is the traditional hydrazine thrusters, which have been flown many many times before, and that's the primary propulsion system on the spacecraft. But we also have next C. We're going to check it out in uh, in flight during cruise. If it works well, we'll use it for some of our tra trajectory correction maneuvers uh, as we go. But it's not critical. You uh, you have the hydrazine thrusters to back up on. A absolutely, it's not it's not critical. We're looking forward to being able to use it. But if uh, if it if next C has a bad day and we're not able to use it, we're absolutely certain we can uh, we can still conduct the mission on hydrazine. I see. Okay. Now, uh, you mentioned the ROSAs, and of course, um, that we actually just released an episode on, on um, ROSAs on the International Space Station. I understand these are a bit smaller, but you've already drawn the comparison of, of the size of the DART vehicle. It, you don't need gigantic solar arrays, it sounds like, to power the instruments that are on board DART. That's right. If, if all we were doing, if we weren't I don't want to say it this way because Next C has been such an integral component of the mission from the beginning. I don't want to make it make it uh, seem like I'm like I'm tossing them overboard. Sure, sure. They, but 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 had the mission been designed a different way and it were only the camera, we would not need such large solar arrays. The large solar arrays are there because we are using the mission to to give Next C a a, a very thorough shakedown cruise. I understand. Okay, very cool. Now, what other technologies? And if if we were to, you know, you, you mentioned it's the size of a, I think you said vending machine, um, the size of a vending machine. You got you got your cameras, you got your guidance, navigation, and control. You got your thrusters. Are we missing any other key pieces of technology that make up the the shape and of of the spacecraft? There are a variety of other things. The the high gain antenna for communication with Earth is a particularly interesting one. If you look at it, you would uh, you would say is that an antenna or is it a pizza pan or something? It's, uh, it doesn't look like a traditional parabolic antenna. It's a flat plate with a bunch of little slots cut in it. And it's called a radial slot line array antenna, which uses a really interesting combination of little phased, well, for antenna, for antenna geeks out there, little, little phased dipoles all around this uh, circular plate to, uh, to, to play the same role that a parabolic antenna would have. Uh, and uh, give us really good gain in transmission as well as reception. So that's one of the most con most conspicuous things. The other interesting bits of technology are are on the inside in the computer hardware, the use of the the uh, uh, field programmable gate arrays uh, that are running the SmartNav software and things like that. Awesome. Um, now we are recording this in August. I think the episode itself will release in September, closing in on that uh, November window uh, that opens up to actually meet your target and uh, collide or crash into uh, Dimorphos in September of next year. What is there left to do on your timeline to make sure you are ready for when that window opens? 
Uh, well, the, the spacecraft is on track to be uh, shipped to the launch site. And so that'll be certainly the, big, uh, the biggest thing that's, uh, that's coming. But all of the main systems are installed. Everything is on. Next Sea is on. Draco is on. The solar arrays are on the spacecraft. It's really just the final checkouts that are being done at APL. And uh, then we ship to the site and get into our integration with the launch vehicle. Um, there are still some uh, uh, system tests and simulations that are being done. We're going to be fine-tuning um, some of the, uh, some of the uh, navigation parameters to make sure that we maximize uh, our chances of executing the kinetic impact uh, correctly when we want to, and uh, planning for the things you do in cruise uh, on a planetary mission. That is, you check out the instruments, you calibrate the cameras, all of those things are being planned. Very cool. Now, um, you're in the home stretch here, uh, and and of course, all, all getting to that critical moment of the kinetic impact. It sounds like you got a, you got a lot uh, that's packed into this mission. Um, besides the, the the key, I guess, goal of the mission is to is to make a successful kinetic impact and then measure the 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 effect of that on the physics of the orbit of Dimorphos and the and around Didymos uh, and how the binary system itself is affected what other um key areas are you planning to explore maybe maybe physics wise um um that maybe go beyond that did this work or or was this uh, a successful impact oh yeah there are lots of questions and and you know the 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 texture of the landscape has the scientific landscape has actually changed a little bit in the last couple of years because um, if you had asked me this two three years ago, I probably would have said we're not really expecting any surprises. We think the the kinetic impact is going to be exactly what you think it's going to be. The response is going to fit in, going to be in, in accord with our computer simulations and so on. And yet we've had a couple of surprises in asteroid science in the last couple of years. Uh, the Japanese spacecraft Hayabusa 2, uh, which is now uh, uh, has brought its back its uh, samples back from the asteroid Ryugu, um, they did an experiment at the asteroid Ryugu, which they had a separate thing, a, an explosive device that sent a small impactor at, at high speed down into the surface of, of the asteroid. And it was a surprise because in some ways it did what was expected. It dug a little crater, it went bang and dug a little crater and ejecta came out. But the surprise was the process of, well, let me back up. If you think about it, if you just imagine, what should that look like? You're firing a projectile into the surface of an asteroid at a few thousand miles an hour. And you think about that and it should probably go bang and stuff flies around and then the dust settles and it's done. And that's not quite what happened. That process of excavating the crater and stuff coming out of the crater went on for minutes, which hmm. was more than a bit of a surprise. And what it told us was that there was basically no strength to that material. There was no cohesion to it. There was no stickiness to it. Everything was just controlled by gravity. And so there was nothing to slow this process down, even though it was going in slow motion real-time slow motion, it just took forever for it to, to develop. And a lot more material was excavated from the crater than people were expecting. So that was surprise number one. Surprise number two 
was the OSIRIS-REx spacecraft at the asteroid Bennu that is now on the way home with its uh, sample. When it did its sampling attempt and touched down very gently on the surface uh, with its uh, TAG sampler to just do a touch and go, that's what TAG stands for, um, it touched the surface and the surface didn't push back. It just sort of went into the surface. It sort of paints a picture of this asteroid that if you walked up to the side of the asteroid and you poked it, your arm would just go right into it. Um, it was amazingly um, delicate material. And, uh, and so because we've got evidence that these asteroids can be you know, very, very delicate material and, and slow to respond, I'm anticipating some surprises when we actually execute the kinetic impact on Dimorphos. Wow. So in terms of what excites you about the mission, in addition to what you said about you, how excited you were for launch and to be at APL for the kinetic impact, it sounds like one of the things is what is going to surprise me that that's exciting you most about this mission? Oh, well, I mean, boy, where do I begin? I mean, there, <laughs> you know, there, there, there's a lot of asteroids in the solar system, but it's becoming clear that there's no such thing as just another asteroid. And every asteroid has something surprising and in, 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 in new to tell us. Every time we get a spacecraft to a different asteroid, our socks get knocked off and then we have to put our socks back on. And then the next one knocks our socks off again. Um, so uh, I, I'm not going to make any bets about uh, what, uh, what uh, is going to happen at Dermorphos. I know we're going to execute the kinetic impact. I know there's going to be a measurable effect. I know I'm going to be really, really thrilled to see the telescopic observations following the kinetic impact that show me the, the period, period of the asteroid has changed. And, and let's just focus on that for a second, because that's going to be a, 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 an event of historical proportions, right? When we get those observations back that show that the period of this binary asteroid has been changed, that will be the first time that humanity has actually changed something in space. Huh. I mean, we've left footprints and tire tracks and things like that on, on various bodies, but this will be the first time humanity has changed a celestial motion. Interesting. Um, we've observed, we've collected samples, but this, yeah, you're right. This is the first time we're changing something. Wow. Mm-hmm. Unbelievable, and that's 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 due to the team that's that's putting this mission together. Uh, the the work that you're doing, and it sounds like the work that's being brought together from several different centers, several several different teams. What's it like working on the dark dark team? Oh, the dark team is fantastic. It's uh, it's it's tremendously professional, dedicated people. In addition to that, uh, there are people on uh, on the investigation team that I've known for years. Uh, through research, uh, and you know, I've been friends with them. So working with them in the, this capacity has just been been great. I can't say enough about the the team at APL, the team at the uh, at the collaborating universities, the Lichy Cube team from our, uh, from Aussie has been great. Um, the, this team has really pulled together uh, and gotten through uh, the pandemic, and we're still launching the spacecraft this year. That's right. That doesn't matter on the obstacles. You guys are still getting the mission done. So that's amazing to hear. And honestly, I'm rooting for you. Tom, this was a fascinating discussion to have with you today. And 
honestly, you got me excited about the mission. I'm very much looking forward to launch, and, and I'm very much looking forward to um, just the excitement of all there is to learn, and uh, and, and now especially the, the surprises that may come along the way. I love the way you described that every asteroid is is unique, and so it's not just another asteroid. So what what surprises does this one have to offer? I can't wait to find out. Tom, thanks for coming on. Oh, thanks so much, Gary. Glad you were excited. Hey, thanks for sticking around. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Thomas Statler today. He got me really excited for this upcoming DART mission, and it's coming up very soon. Launches in just a couple of months. At least the launch window opens up. So check out the latest at nasa.gov for the DART mission. We're one of many NASA podcasts across the entire space agency. You can go to nasa.gov slash podcasts to check us all out. That's where we are. Uh, You can check out some of our episodes and some of our collections uh, on various topics that we have. We're on the Johnson Space Center pages of Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram on social media. Uh, Use the hashtag AskNASA on your favorite platform to submit an idea for the show or maybe a question. Just make sure to mention it's for us at Houston. We have a podcast. This episode was recorded on August 18th, 2021. Thanks to Alex Perriman, Pat Ryan, Norm Moran, Belinda Polito, Emily Ferfero, and Josh Handel. And of course, thanks again to Tom Statler for taking the time to come on the show. Give us a rating and feedback on whatever platform you're listening to us on and tell us what you think of our podcast. We'll be back next week.